0: Hey, this is Maddie Beautiful, and here's my story I'm sharing on the Trip Life Podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on Instagram, at goddess trans. I hope my experiences inspire you, and remember, dreams over doubt. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays. Hello? Hey there. Maddie, how are you? Good, I'm excellent. How's it going? Not bad. Awesome. Beautiful day in Colorado. Is it? What's the weather like? 78, sunny, partial cloud. Yeah.
1: Do you have an event tonight?
0: I do not. Um, my business okay. partner is performing at the Museum of Modern Art, though. So that's going to be really interesting. Okay. I had a huge weekend of events last weekend
1: yeah I saw that, yeah, so you're t- kind of taking the weekend off a little bit,
0: yeah, and I'm also um switching up my partnerships too the space that I was previously working with um I'm no longer working with now, so we kind of have to kick it into high gear and take some meetings and find some new locations. Did you outgrow the space, or did you just kind of outgrow it? um something that's very important to me as a business person is 100% transparency, especially in a partnership. And it became very clear, very quickly that this person did not share my same belief system. And then when it really got down to it, they recovered their investment and left me quite dry. So, um, yeah, Yeah. it's good time to step away and, um, let, you know, learn the lesson, have the money come into my account next time. Right. Yeah.
1: That's a hard lesson, but it's good to take that early loss, learning now. Yeah.
0: And also um, men that are older, they tend to think that um, they have a right to handle the money, even though, Um, maybe their business experience isn't specifically financials you can be a really successful business person without being the person that handles the money and you know sometimes there are people who have more experience with money and can get people paid fairly and um, when you're younger or less experienced sometimes it's challenging to advocate that for yourself and be like well actually this is my strength and I have these financial responsibilities of paying the staff so I need to have the money in my account and then or you know, just whatever the agreement is, um, and not just blindly trusting one person to hold the money and act responsibly. Absolutely, yeah. That's like the biggest piece of advice I could ever give anybody: is make sure the income is
1: divided evenly. So, how do you evaluate business partners?
0: Um, honestly. It's not a super long vetting process because either people being who they say that they are, and you can see that in their actions right away, or they kind of, they flood you with talk. So if somebody is flooding me with talk and all of the things that they've done, but I don't really see anything or any actions, um, I usually will not approach them if we have lots of things in common. However, I, uh, I definitely am persuaded by charisma because that's a vital part of business in my experience. So, when I meet a business partner who maybe lacks in certain areas, and, but they have a clear intention about their business, um, mindful, respectful, and responsible um, practices as far as the business goes, plus the charisma, like if that person has those elements, that would be an ideal partner. Unfortunately for me, this time, um, they did not um, have the, what's the word? Ethics. There we go. Yeah. Um, to follow through with their commitments and responsibilities and intentionally manipulated me. That's what's unfortunate, is like.
1: Oh, so hmm. you think it was. Oh, absolutely. Got it out.
0: Yes. Like if it had been a raging success, then oh, 50-50 we took a loss at two events. The second event, I mean, was a joke because my partner didn't promote it at all. And um, it basically was a fundraiser for their venue. So if you're not promoting your own event for a fundraiser for your own venue, that doesn't really make sense. So when a business partner um, gives up after a failure, Basically, you have to like re-evaluate and you and know,
1: move from but there. But in my experience, usually when they give up, they don't tell you that.
0: That's so funny that you say that
1: because that's exactly what happened. Right? Like, they don't say person... anything to you. And then when you <laughs> ask them about it, it's, no, I'm still all in. I'm still 100% committed.
0: But yeah, they're I'm, working I'm on their that.
1: exit strategy and they're just not being honest about that.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's like a sneaky partner yeah. like a relationship you know where they're like collecting saving money in their bit in their savings account so they can move out yeah and be like oh no baby just go ghost on you. <laughs> yeah totally it's so funny too because this person um I pre-purchased a lot of staging equipment. I'm a production designer. Right, yeah. So I have a lot of staging equipment.
1: We should talk about that later on. Sorry to interrupt you, though.
0: No, that's okay. Of course. Absolutely, yeah. So I have, like, hundreds of yards of fabric, tents, um, foam mat, all sorts of things to, like, create events. And so for him to not only – for my partner to not only take my money – for them to totally give up let me invest thousands of dollars into another event fully knowing that they were not going to invest any money then um to hold my stuff like my items things that have nothing to do with him things i have receipts for in his club and to like shut it down and ghost that's literally what he did after the whole thing i went we had a day of accounting and was like okay let's get together and figure out the no- vendors i got all of the invoices had all of the receipts i showed up to the meeting and he does not have a thing and that's when you know like i had suspected that he had given up and i had heard things from another one of my partners who works with me on another project that um they had overheard and all the things but i'm not a rumor mill sort of person i'm right like, i just show up i do the work if i say i'm gonna invest in something i follow through if i tell someone i'm gonna pay them I, def- I would never tell they somebody paid, that if I did. Period. Yeah, they get paid. Exactly. I don't leave anyone high and dry. And also, that's what credit cards are for.
1: <laughs> like, I'll go broke like, before I let like someone I, go yeah, unpaid.
0: Absolutely. All my events, like, I will absolutely break even and make sure everyone else that was there got paid more than fair. Because that's what creates that passionate employee. And I don't really like, like to even call employees just contributors, yeah. like to these events. And... Team members, you know. Absolutely, yeah. there we go. Yeah. Whatever title rings the bell. So, yeah, it's just so funny when a part when they kind of ghost you like that, and then they like start hiding things and tucking things away, and you get there, and you're, you're like, oh, so this was your plan the whole time? Okay, cool. I can either sit here and freak out raise my voice to you lose my mind how i re- react is going to change my experience not the result or i can just you know what save that energy turn right around and figure out the next plan
1: yeah and it's it's interesting because you have that going on behind the scenes but then you have successful events going on publicly right for the in the limelight and for yeah public.
0: So they have they have been going well it's just this one event with this one uh, venue partnership
1: uh-huh.
0: and working with this person and really them um, coming at me like why are you so mad your other parties are making money why are you so mad I don't need to pay you because of your personal success and that's not that doesn't make any sense at all exactly that does that's that's null and void what I do. yeah My personal life has nothing to do with this current business. And I know that both of us have lost a few thousand dollars on this, but here I am with the receipts. Here we are with X amount of money in this account and trying to figure out how we can split it up and move forward. And then this person, all they do is, well, you did this, this, and this. And well, you didn't do this, this, and this. And you agreed to this. So I think you really owe me money
1: for this. And it's no, it's it's so we have to work within the confines of what our agreement is, everything else outside of that is just that
0: and like and you can't even work with somebody who when you're looking at a time stamped agreement like because a special event you know it was only a few thousand dollars each per event um as far as the investment goes and to me because of this like really friendly friendship i was producing some of their other events um on other days of the week and on the weekends um, outside of this, and I feel like I needed a contract. So when I pull up these notes that have a time, da- uh, time stamp on them of everything we agreed to, and they're telling it, telling like yelling in my face that I'm a liar, that I'm making these things up, and I'm like, well, this document hasn't been edited since the day we had the meeting, and these are all the things that are on the list that you agreed to, and they're like screaming at you, telling you, um, you know, that you're lying and that I'm making thing making it up and you just, how can you f- negotiate with crazy? <laughs>
1: like legitimately, this person is playing the crazy role. So. And do you think that was an act or do you think they were legit having a break with, they were just lying to themselves. So then therefore they had to lie to you sort of thing. Um, I'm not, I can't speak to that, to
0: this person, but I can yeah. speak about my own experience when I found myself in the wrong. And maybe I was younger, maybe I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar, maybe I didn't fulfill agreements that a boss or somebody I admired, a mentor maybe required of me. And in the past, I have been like, well, you didn't follow up with me. Well, you never called me to confirm. Well, you know, all of these like little tiny excuses and deflections just to like shine the light, the fact that I messed up and that I didn't honor my." Uh, agreement. So when I'm in this um, argument with him, and I see him doing what I used to do when, say, I was a child, maybe when I was in middle school or high school, you know, and I'm getting fired from my coffee shop job because I'm working three other jobs, be- you know, because I moved out when I was 15 and was, you know, finished my last two years of high school, working my butt off, and it just... I saw all of those deflections in myself in that person. And the reason why I was becoming so mad is because we hate in others what we hate in ourselves. And I couldn't even recognize it before we got to where we were. Mm -hmm. So um, it just felt very childish and uh, hurt his poor ego. Nobody really challenges him in his day-to-day life. So um, I was a healthy partner for him until he... Uh, messed up
1: (laughs) run that yeah
0: but yeah there you go 15 minutes on uh, why you should get a contract
1: (laughs) well you know it's it's very stressful people don't understand like the amount of time and energy that you invest into partnerships and wanting them to be sustainable as possible so I it's definitely a process to move on from it and it sounds like you're doing so in a very Um, healthy way so well well excuse my frank like
0: my frankness i've been fucked over by men before and when you get into this situation say living on your own and being an entrepreneur for over 10 years 15 years almost Mm -hmm. you kind of you learn how you can put these safety measures in like in place so for instance i own all of the visual components of the brand I own the art I own the website I own everything okay I own the social media I drew and illustrated the art myself all of the like all of the graphics that are printed on all the t-shirts for instance I own all that so he might be able to steal from me or take my money but he will never ever be able to throw this event again in it or sell any of the merchandise in any capacity.
1: So he, he wouldn't have a reoccurring position that you have to, uh, his equity isn't there. So you're now free to move on how you see fit. Absolutely. It can haunt you, you know, because when people have like 10% equity or depending on how it's split, like say you, you owned all the visuals, but um, the other person owns, like your liquor license, or owns you know some, yeah, some exactly. combination of it. Yeah.
0: You know. So he basically owned the liquor license for the liquor store, and he applied for the liquor license for the parking lot so we could sell. So he was providing the space, and that felt sure. like a great. He also was providing the membership attendance. So it's a private social club. He has x amount of members he said that he could pull a certain amount we have another sponsor here in colorado colorado alternative lifestyle they said they could pull a certain amount my events personally are extremely successful we're having our one-year anniversary for made up club august 16th which is also my 30th birthday it's gonna be very cute oh
1: congrats
0: yes we have a beautiful studio space downtown Super centrally located and accessible for everyone. The uh, venue I've been working with is kind of out of downtown, so it's been hard for people to get to. But when he stopped contributing, the members, when he stopped contributing the space, then there wasn't really anything that he was contributing to or had ownership over. And I built the, you know, I built the website. You built the brand, office, really. I built the brand, yes, which is. That's my skill set. That's what I was bringing to this space was I lived in L.A. for six years. Something you learn when you live in L.A. or New York, maybe even Chicago, is you can't go there and get a job. You have to create your own job and be the best at it in the industry, whether it's lighting, whether it's um, artisanally selected plant arrangements, whether you're a special effects artist, you know, director, whatever. You just have to, like, create your position. And that's how I learned a lot of those branding uh, skills with seeing other people in my industry really creating these positions that no, no one else could fill if they weren't there. And that, that's what I like to do when I uh, team up with a business partner is show them all of those skills that
1: they wouldn't be able to do without me specifically. So we've been talking about it, but we haven't really, told the people the audience what made Mm -hmm. up club is Oh, tell us
0: yeah absolutely so i own a company called beautiful.consulting and what we offer are pure mentorship online and live workshops corporate workshops and live events and made up club is one of our events that specifically is for trans people and their admirers in a world of lgbtqia plus it's very easy for marginalized people to feel marginalized (laughs) by their own community. So what I, what my intention was, was to create specifically a safe space for trans people, non-binary, gender non-conforming, et cetera, every shade of gender expression, and our friends and lovers that value us and want to show up for us. And I started it originally as a community outreach project. I am... a white trans person. I wanted to share my privilege by using some of the money that I've been making to create a safe space for all of us to come together and meet and be friends and share some stories, you know, have some beverages, enjoy some herbal refreshments. And, you know, month one, month two, month three, I started to spread. We started to chat. Then we had our six month anniversary. Or we had a Halloween party, which blew up. Then we had our six-month anniversary on Valentine's Day. That was absolutely epic. So here we are a year later, sold-out parties every month, just trying to find a venue or a space that is that is equitable when it comes to employing and sharing the commerce with trans people in their community. Most venues here are owned by heterosexual or homosexual, cisgender, white people. Real talk. <laughs> so that particular demographic really sees all of these new demographics as being trendy new income creators and really finding a space where trans people don't feel like, it's one thing to create a space where trans people are included, but it's another thing to create a space where trans people don't feel like they're being capitalized on. And that was the intention of my made up club party, which has spawned other parties like Free Love Disco, our Sunday lot party with 20 foot inflatable water slides, Uh, 20 foot above ground pool, AstroTurf dance floor, classic disco, new disco, international disco, just all of that really history that fueled electronic dance music, also with the history of the free love movement, which moved American civil rights forwards, I'm not sure if you know too much about the free love movement, but we wanted to create spaces that were intentional and um, inclusive, so long story long.
1: Well. Tell us a little bit more about um, the distinctions between your events, as well as give us like a brief history of the uh, free love movement.
0: Cool. So when people look at the civil rights movement, they obviously see people of color on the front lines, and they obviously see women on the front lines pushing women's rights forwards in the same timeline. The free love movement in the 60s and 70s was very much that heteroflexible, heteroqueer, those hetero people that live these binary seemingly normal lives who are unified through um, through message. Sorry. <laughs> brain uh brain train fell off the tracks. <laughs> totally. We all have those moments. Exactly. <laughs> um So the free love movement specifically was um, the heteroflexible people, white and black specifically, that were creating social change and most importantly, creating social visibility in the civil rights movement. So that's why we called it free love disco because the free love movement was the foundation of this really inclusive space that included men and women and specifically black people at that time when people knew that the oppressive laws and the systematic oppression of the society that we live in needed to be changed. And that's so, why we wanted to pull that into our event.
1: So in some ways, the free love movement could maybe be considered the precursor to intersectionality?
0: Absolutely, yes. Free love movement could even be the original intersectionality. concept. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, that was great. Thank you for putting that together. So it's basically intersectionality party, and the reason why we called we is called free love disco, is because electronic dance music, that popular popular music everybody loves, guess what, honey? It started in gay black Chicago bathhouses and pencil or Philadelphia bathhouses before it even made its way to private white private parties in the seventies called the loft and Studio Fifty Four that drew all those celebrities. Yeah, like. The history of our music that everybody loves from pop music to uh, synthesized rap and R&B to obviously electro pop, all that started in the free love movement in the disco era and it was created by queer men of color. So to name our party that and then to name our party Free free love disco and to feature the original music that fueled a social rights movement it gives a sense of family (laughs) and appreciation and value in what would otherwise be a Sunday beer bust hot parking lot. (laughs) Like anyone can just show up and buy drinks and stuff, but if you take a little bit of time to honor our history through our music and by the people, the demographic that we intentionally include, that has created a very successful model for
1: us i i really appreciate um the work that you do in regards to connecting history to fun events for modern times for people that are being marginalized right like Mm -hmm. personally from like i you know i'm not in the lgbtq a how do you phrase it? A plus community. <laughs> LGBTQIA. I, yeah. a community. community. Um, but when, you know, I, I do try to um, just be comfortable talking to any and everyone, right? You know, I'm if sure. you're, if you're a nice person, I'm, I'm open to having a conversation with you and getting to know your story. Um, I, I just like hearing about people's walks of lives, And I see a lot of times that black people, are marginalized or people of color in general are marginalized in the Absolutely. lgbtq community there's like a very strong sense of like racism within the LGBT community that i feel like a lot of times people don't talk about and then even more so i feel like the transsexual community is definitely marginalized within that community as well so mm-hmm. um, much less a transgender person of color. Yeah,
0: and really like looking at the gay rights movement, if you go ahead and you know, pop back to San Francisco in the late 60s, early 70s, safe places for gay men to exist were gay bars. And people who owned gay bars were, of, were men of privilege. And at that time, the men of privilege were white, exclusively. So there are these white gay bars trying to push forward gay rights movements, not allowing people of color in the space. So while they're pushing up gay rights movements, they're also stepping on civil rights, which makes no sense and is a direct, um, a direct magnifying glass to what's happening now. Say if you go on to um, hookup, Apps like Scruff or Grinder. Grinder is actually the more problematic one of the two, where it says, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, or not into black, just a preference. That right there is a perfect example of how racism is alive and well within the gay community. So to create a queer space that isn't male, <laughs> that is femme intentionally inclusive it is women inclusive it is people of color inclusive yes it's a successful business model but it's the only model that has longevity because that's the american dream i think people i think white people forget that the american dream is to come to america and be the best version of whatever life you want to (laughs) have so for you to oppress or step on somebody who's that's their only goal makes you un-american
1: I absolutely agree with that, and I have to give you another shout out. Like I see you actively calling out racism. You're just not talking about it right now because you're on the sh- You know, you're on this podcast. It's like this is something that you actually live your life on, and so absolutely. Uh, and, and I and well, I and I don't see that a lot mm-hmm. of times. You know, I see the reverse. So I mm-hmm. I commend you on that definitely. Something that uh, I hear a lot, that I hear a lot
0: from the people of color in my life that I obviously absolutely agree with is it's not the responsibility of people of color to educate white people. It is the clear responsibility for white people to educate other white people. And it starts by us as white people being comfortable and mindful of our language and learning our history and really understanding that the work has never been done I was over there in Obama. I voted for Obama. Totally thrilled. We're living in this like post-Bush era. Mm -hmm. And you think that this world, you know, I grew up in Colorado, which is primarily white, but extremely progressive. And I thought, oh, look how progressive I am. I don't see color, blah, 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 blah. Well, that was my privilege speaking. I didn't see color because I didn't have to see color. And when after moving to L.A., after spending time in New York, oh, my goodness, after living in Atlanta, you really understand how there are entire systems designed to oppress people for, no, for literally no reason other than the fact of their skin color. And it's 2019. So to see my lovers and my friends and my family, my, like my true family, really suffering in, all over this country because they don't have the same accesses and privileges that I do. It's unconscionable to not say something. Like, it's impossible for me to not identify problematic behavior immediately as I see it unfold.
1: And I'm shocked more why people don't. (laughs) Like, real, real talk. (laughs) You know, it's very refreshing you saying all this because a lot of times there's not that openness in the dialogue, right? You know, people see a lot of things go on, but they're not going to speak about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, and
0: that's why people's businesses will fail because <laughs> business is all about creating a customer base. Like if, you know, just bringing it back to the entrepreneur topic, of yeah. inclusivity, if you don't have the strength to identify, pro- you know, challenging problematic behavior within your own community, you probably don't have the strength to run a business that caters to that community. Cause there's going to be challenging things that it doesn't matter if you have a hair salon or a grocery store or a clothing store, there's going to be a clash of customer base. And if you don't have a educated, well-versed communication stance around the situations, then your business is going to get bad reviews. You're not going to enjoy your business. It just
1: makes no sense. I absolutely agree with that. You're, like, out here uh, spitting facts today. (laughs) No. Well,
0: I'm just getting out of a partnership with a self-identified cisgender heterosexual male who was very attracted to the demographic of trans money, and he was very attracted to the demographic of trans bodies in his space, and... He, at some point, he got lost. He got lost why he was here. And we started this event, of course, to create a social enterprise, which is to create a product and service for your community that directly impacts them intentionally while also making money. There's no, I'm surprised there's not a massive amount of businesses with that intention. But other than that. And then when you, like, see this person who doesn't have all the right words but is trying just completely revert back to a space of nastiness and violence and aggression. I mean, it it was just like, okay, if I knew this was inside you, I would have never started this. Right.
1: And the thing is, you don't know that until you have experiences with people, you know.
0: Yeah. And also, you have to call out that behavior for what it is. And by taking advantage of a trans person, that's not being mindful or conscious of your community, especially when your whole team, I mean, we have four people that are trans working for this company. And if I didn't pay them out of my own pocket, they would not have been paid. That's so cool. yeah. But that, and these are funny. people who work six and eight hours for homes. you,
1: you know, like not paying people. How is that a good practice? Mm hmm. Well,
0: now the the doors of the club are closed for a month, apparently. Yeah, yeah there's been all sorts of um, poor business decisions for that person, unfortunately. So we're going to move forward in, in another space. And I can't really quite talk about it yet, but we are in talks with the local nonprofit right downtown that feel like this would be a great fit for them.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, I definitely hope that that those negotiations wrap up soon and you push forward with the new projects. Sunday, uh,
0: August 18th. (laughs) Sunday, August 18th. Yeah, those dates are printed on flyers and t-shirts, so a party's going to be happening somewhere.
1: Definitely. (laughs) Well, I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier about um, mindfulness, and I think mindfulness a lot of times comes from language, right? Absolutely. And the word choice we use so like for me i feel like i want to be mindful but i'm maybe not always educated enough on to be mindful like what is the type of language that i should use if i want to be an ally of the trans community specifically
0: uh what do you mean specifically like what how
1: should you identify a trans person yeah and, and i know that might change depending on the individual right you know there's not a there's a absolutely there a and there's a
0: lot of in, yeah and there's a lot of infighting within the trans community about what's appropriate and what isn't. Okay. So for whoever's out there listening to this, I am 29 years old. I am not a deciding factor of how to identify trans people, but I have volunteered with a trans mental health nonprofit for many years now. And before that, I worked. I volunteered for nine years with a physical health nonprofit. And some of the things that we learn is one, language is always evolving. So what works today might not work tomorrow. Two, everyone's different. So what works for one person might not work for another person and might actually be triggering. Three, somebody, um, something that seems like a safe space for me is I always gender neutral. I identify people gender neutrally. And a lot of languages actually do that. Um, it's mostly like Latin languages that are have different things. Like in French and Spanish, pizza is feminine. Why would a pizza be feminine? You know, like that makes yeah. no sense. In other languages, pizza is just pizza. So I like to call people people and use they pronouns. It's a little confusing for people, but it's better to assume a neutral pronoun than to assume... A gendered pronoun in my experience even if you do have a negative reaction i'm a she i'm a he you know you Mm -hmm. still okay well i navigated from a neutral space rather than you go girl um i'm a trans man you know like how assuming someone else's gender identity can be challenging for somebody in a public social setting so i just stick with the gender neutral stuff until people um self-identify as one gender or another Moving forward from the they identifying, we live in a country where women make less money than men. So if we could operate from a space, and that's just one example, but if we could operate from a space where we didn't differentiate between men and women, then those discrepancies from our society in general will start to fade, absolutely. Obviously, I don't have stats and statistics for you, but I do but we can look at our human history, as far as um, civil rights in America, and see how even just in the past 100 years, which is a single human lifetime, you know, one lifetime ago, no women's rights. One lifetime ago, no rights for people of color. So just by evolving our language and being more conscious of each other's experiences, gender stuff aside, it can it brings us all to more evil. Evil, more even, plain, there we go,
1: <laughs> Freudian slip, yeah, so I use they pronouns, I like that yeah i'll I'll try to remember those tips when interacting with people in general, you know, yeah, absolutely,
0: plus, it feels kind of awkward, which makes language fun. <laughs> And funny, it's like, wait, who are you talking about? How many of them? Like, it's a little funny at first, but then when you see the positive affirmation that somebody receives, oh yeah, this is the biggest tip and I forgot to mention. Just ask people their pronouns. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, you can straight up, and this has become a norm for my group of friends when we meet someone new. What are your pronouns? As simple as that. Most people will say, oh, I'm she, her, or he, his, but I don't mind they. (laughs) Yeah, you can call me he or they, whatever. That seems to be just the future of just kind of millennial thinking in general. Maybe I'm in a very mindful group of friends between LA, New York, Denver, but it feels kind of more
1: and more the norm can you talk about the differences between those three cities and even Atlanta
0: too? Absolutely. And the first thing that, I mean, the most important thing we should look at is the laws. (laughs) Uh So the laws in California, the laws in New York and the laws in Atlanta directly depict the culture that is there. For instance, while it is legal in California to consume cannabis and to sell it, flashback two years ago, in Atlanta to have an ounce of cannabis was a minimum 10 years in jail. They hyper-criminalized cannabis. So just the difference between those two cities and the power that police have completely changes the way that um, businesses are run, the way people communicate and interact with each other. It's absolutely night and day. And of course, then there's New York where they decriminalized uh, cannabis products and edibles, but they didn't make it legal So they removed some of the power from police so that they didn't have the power to arrest people on stop-and-frisks, which changes the culture of the community exponentially, whether of the actual um, jail itself or even just keeping people on the streets, existing as people as they're rightly to do, say in another part of the country. So, um, I'm trying to think about where I was going with that, as far as the difference between culture. There's a lot more visibility of trans people and queer people, and maybe even just stepping outside of that, um, new businesses. People are less fearful in, let's say, Los Angeles to just start a new business for one or two years, and then that's the end of the lease. So you, great, we tried it, it was good for this amount of time, now let's move on. but in other places where people experience a lot of fear or fear in other realms of their life, let's say, they don't have the natural gumption, yeah, or determination to like launch a new business. What, and the only reason why I say that is because from spending time in Atlanta, I have a lot of friends that are also entrepreneurs and just their approach to licensing, well, we got to, in Atlanta. They'll be like, "Oh, well, we need to make sure we have this license and this permit and this, that, and the other." And you go to Los, you go to Los Angeles, and they're like, "Let's throw a pop-up event, a trunk show in this warehouse or in this park." And if the police come, whatever, they'll write us a ticket and move move on. And that right there, the culture of commerce is directly impacted by the laws that govern
1: this each state. So. It sounds like, from what you're saying, that you see a direct correlation between entrepreneurship and empowerment. Absolutely. And police power.
0: (laughs) Like, if people feel like they can be arrested for throwing a pop-up fashion show in a park, they're not going to do it. And if they don't try this, if they don't try that model and see how well-received it is, or poorly it went and learned from their notes then they can make changes and do something bigger or be like oh this is great let's get a venue oh this was not great let's go online or whatever whereas if you don't even have a space and the courage to try it then no commerce was even created no business was even created and that community just suffered because this person was afraid of police presence I'm telling you, in Atlanta, they can stop you, take you, and arrest you for almost anything.
1: Do you see it, like, targeted against um, LGBTQIA
0: people? or um, I actually see it directly targeting Black people, specifically, black people. in Atlanta, absolutely. Okay. Because you see who has the boutiques in the businesses, even in um, Five Points, which is a more affordable, hip neighborhood. All those people that own those venues are freaking white people. And of course, that directly affects LGBTQIA people. Of course, it directly affects trans women of color, because now they don't see themselves represented in their own community. So where would somebody find the confidence outside of blind personal confidence, which you know burns alive in a lot of us that's why we're entrepreneurs mm-hmm. but if you don't see yourself you know launching businesses and starting businesses in your own community then you may or may you may not have the determination and courage to do it yourself or you're like me and and there's the courage right there
1: that there's that void and that you need to fulfill this absolutely yeah. yes
0: Some people are like, ooh, I haven't really seen anyone else do it. I don't know. Like, will this even work? All that doubt, I get it. Been there, trust. But but yes, and, not but, yes, and, how can you use your privilege? How can you use your amazing mind to create something that directly affects people in a positive way? And how can that make money for you so you can keep doing it? especially when there's no demographic or when there's no competition.
1: So like I've seen um, an increase, I would probably say in the last two years and correct me if I'm saying something incorrect here, Mm -hmm. uh, but in murders of trans women, specifically black trans women.
0: Yeah. So there definitely hasn't been necessarily an increase of Black trans women being murdered But there has been a massive Increase in Exposure through media outlets Nobody has given A fuck about Black trans women before Three years ago Just it wasn't Gay white men want to take Responsibility for Stonewall And that wasn't the (laughs) case at all historically No it was a black Trans woman marsha p johnson who threw that first brick fearlessly that chick got arrested so many like she didn't give a she knew what was right and it wasn't no white bar owner who gave her permission to exist that pushed civil rights movement forward the way that it did so epically did so um it's shocking and I have lots of friends that will say not surprising that there hasn't been um, media coverage on trans women of color, especially the trans woman who was beaten to death in ICE um, detention center. Okay. Yeah, there's just, we, now, we, now that we have media coverage and people are starting to see that this is a real, that this has already been a real thing for a really, really long time. The next step is like, okay, where's the call to action? Like, where's what can I do as a white trans person who's not rich, but who has rolled the dice a couple of times and got and, and won? What can I do as a white trans person to contribute and help to black trans women? And where we landed at was Made Up Club. The private address isn't emailed until noon of the event for everyone who RSVP. This space is 100% free for all trans people. We have security. We move locations. That was just like one idea of how I could match my interests with my skills to actually create, a, you know, to fulfill a call to action, which was creating safe spaces for Black trans women to exist. That's my story, though. Anybody out there, you know, whoever is listening or not, they have the ability to create a safe space for black trans women or just trans people in general. Whether it's donating to a library because they don't have any trans books for kids, you know, whether it's, or your local school, you spend, you could spend $20 and buy two trans books for kids and donate that to the local elementary school in case there's a trans kid or a queer kid in there who doesn't have the language or resources to, find that book or whatever. There's like a million different ways for people to contribute in the way that calls to them if they sit with it.
1: So my, I I love that um, response, by the way. But my follow-up question would be, so one of the ways um, people are marginalized, right? And this relates to people of color, Black people, and... You know, trans community are by not being gainfully employed, right? Having limited uh, employment opportunities, right? Absolutely. So do you think that factors into, um I have like kind of a two-part question. Um, mm-hmm. And again, correct me if I'm saying anything off basis. This is just what I've kind of gleaned from my research, right? Mm-hmm. But do you think the lack of financial resources, specifically for the trans community, plays a part in marginal and the like the brutality of it all. And also, do you, do you think the, the fact that a lot of times because there aren't those resources that um, sex work is involved, do you think that's a factor as well, or do you think that's blown out of proportion?
0: So I'll start with the first half, which was the employment. Okay. And then we'll talk about the sex work. So the intention of Made Up Club and Free Love Disco and Beautiful Consulting is to create employment and commerce opportunities for trans people outside of traditional sex work. So whether you're a bartender or security guard or a door person or a promoter or a fabricator, whatever, the whole intention of this volunteer party, this business, was to employ trans people outside of sex work. And anyone with a business, anyone with an interest, has that availability too. Like You can also be mindful about the way that you hire people, especially if you want trans people working for you. The... Uh, so the employment topic, in my opinion, as a white trans person, I definitely don't want to speak for uh, trans women of color, but seeing across the board for all the trans friends that I have all over the country, mm-hmm. rather than the employment piece, it's the education component. Okay. So not being safe in primary school, not being safe in high school not being safe or having access to college, that is the biggest issue, is how can we help trans kids be safe enough to have a American trajectory of success? And what I mean by that is many Americans, many cisgender Americans, while yes, they deal with bullying, and yes, they deal with all the normal things that come with high school, Trans people are very, very prone to violence, especially in places that don't have bathrooms for them. I experienced that a lot as a high school student and as a middle school student. I know that a lot of trans kids do. But when you're being, when somebody is cruel to you about your body constantly and about your genitals, real, like just to be very, very clear, people, when it comes to trans people and the way they communicate with them, that's the first thing everybody brings up. So when you're 14, when you're 16, you know, when you're 18 and you're just trying to learn geometry, you're just trying to get a scholarship to do whatever you want to do. When people torment you about your about your genitals and your body, it makes it absolutely impossible to learn. <laughs> like, there's just no way to be successful when you don't have a place to go to the bathroom in your own school. And then you want to cut. And then you don't want to go. And then you don't feel safe. And then your grades suffer, and then you get kicked out of school. And then all of these things that a traditional cisgender person wouldn't even have to think about or consider is like, now this person's life is totally stunted because they don't feel safe at their school. And moving on from that, work is obviously not only the oldest profession in the whole world. yeah, but it is also access to wealth that marginalized people would never ever have access to and i say when you go to say if you were employed we'll, well like think about a previous job that you have okay you got up you brush you know brush your teeth did your hair whatever showered went to work went to work somebody called you an asshole. maybe someone even called you a faggot whatever you did your thing you came home from work you know, watched your Netflix, maybe went on a date with somebody, had a cutie over, went to bed, whatever. Pretty normal cisgender experience. For a trans person, the pressure to look cisgender, so say if I'm a trans female, the pressure to look like a cisgender female and what previously people called passable, which is a really oppressive word, But the need to pass as cisgender, all before leaving the house, will completely depict your experience from traveling there to the way your employer hires you or or your employees interact with you, if you even get the job, and then also the way the customers interact with you as well. So as a trans person, not only do you have to mentally prepare yourself, but you also have to physically prepare yourself, and then you show up to this space, and you also have to be educated to consciously navigate challenging and problematic scenarios between coworkers, workers between um, customers. And then when you don't, say if you are triggered, say you have an explosive reaction, say you're unprofessional in any way because a customer is talking about your genitals and you work at Verizon and that has nothing to do with that, then maybe you're fired. Maybe you're um, reprimanded. Maybe You're the problem, your hours are cut. Right. Yeah. somehow this trans person is being punished by money is being taken out of their pocket when they might not have even had access to the education to begin with, to be able to communicate with people. Well, that's not appropriate. Please don't talk about that when I'm when I'm working. Or that's actually misogynistic and aggressive and inappropriate for this space. Some people don't have Many, most people don't have access to that. I certainly have not had access to that when I was younger and was ex- extremely explosive. So to be in a sex work environment where you are your boss, you're, you have one customer and the boss is always right, that creates a unique, safe, profitable experience for somebody who has just constantly faced violence in so many work and education spaces. So while sex work is being villainized by absolutely everyone, and even by other trans people of for some and for many, it's the it's the only realistic option right now.
1: It's it's almost liberating. Absolutely.
0: Okay. It is absolutely liberating. But on the other side of that, this trans person is also still making money from cisgender people and relying on men for their cash. And that's where, again, Made Up Club comes in. That's where Free Love Disco comes in. We're like, okay, we know that we're hired for parties. We know we're hired to create the art. We know that we're hired for all of these things. How can we be the owners now? How can we be the trans owners that don't have to be the hired help? We're the ones doing the hiring. And how can we create
1: a format or formula to do that in every city? Because can you give us that stat that you told me about, about trans-owned uh, clubs in the country? Yeah, there, was,
0: there are only three trans-owned clubs and, and venues in the whole country, the oldest of which in San Francisco just closed. So now there's only two. There are two trans owned clubs in the whole
1: country. That blows my mind. It, it blows my mind too. Just but it, it it really speaks to that lack of empowerment, entrepreneur entrepreneurship uh, within the trans community. Privilege. Yeah. Because Yeah. Because that, that, that's marginalization because I mean there's two I think there's, what, at least two major um, gay clubs in every? Oh, absolutely. There's a half two, a dozen but, gay clubs like, in every major city. Yeah, you know? It's probably <laughs> yeah. more than that. Definitely, I don't.
0: And let's remind you, these gay clubs, the history of gay club is white men. Right. So these spaces are not people of color inclusive And they're definitely not women or trans inclusive These are highly misogynistic spaces Where men dress and represent And look like the men that abuse them They're the ones with the Hitler haircuts They're the ones with the daddy beards They're the ones who are perpetuating these men That they always wanted admiration, validation from And now they like look like them <laughs> It's wild. So, I and then we're expected to go there and spend our money and perform on their stages yeah. and work their door, and be the face of their flyers for their events. Us trans people and uh, queer drag entertainers, I mean, the whole rainbow of us. So, we just need to stop complaining, and like stop bitching, and just do it ourselves you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, there's only two bars? Well, guess what? Let's open another one. And it doesn't have to be a traditional bar. Like, say we're here in Colorado, there's a lot of, in Calif- California as well, there's a lot of ways to have private social clubs, to have event spaces and private venues where you can consume cannabis, or you can be BYOB. It's just these by-the-cup, highly um, policed What's the word? Licenses that prevent that can prevent people from opening spaces or researching the loopholes. City
1: hall definitely dictates that you have to pay to play when it comes to licenses. So
0: absolutely, but there's loopholes. Yeah. So, for instance, in Colorado, any nonprofit, even if it's not a five hundred one c three, has access to up to twelve liquor licenses that they can apply for every calendar year. So if you work with a nonprofit, for instance, and you want to get a liquor license for your new party, you can, all you have to do is apply for the city. It's $100 and then $25 per date. So if you do a little bit of research and you know, figure out who your community is, reach out to your community, see who's connected, then there's ways to create these spaces outside of the traditional pay to play.
1: Well, you know, get always hiring, having good people around you, like is what you're speaking about, you know, so getting lawyers, accountants who may, you know, something people from within the community who want to contribute in that way.
0: And also having the exact conversation that we're having now with these people. So it less about asking people to join your business or contribute, but really shine the light on spaces where spaces for improvement and the right people will hear the calling. So say if I'm in a group of lawyers and bankers and owners and whatever, and we're having this conversation, some people will be triggered by it. They're like, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm not racist. I'm not misogynistic. I love black trans women or whatever. It's like, okay, 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 I get it. Like, that's not what I was saying. I'm just saying <laughs> that there's, there's room for improvement and that's okay, but some people then there's other people who are like, oh shit, there is room for improvement, and these are the way these are my skills that I can contribute. People are thinking, how can I contribute? But I'm a lawyer. I don't want to open a trans bar. Well, you could loan a couple up. You could gift a couple of hours of Q and A. Oh, I'm a farmer. How do I create space for trans people? Well, a lot of trans people are hungry you could find any trans nonprofit and figure out a way to donate some of your produce like it doesn't matter or we could you use day. your barn for a party or we could use your barn exact exactly and get you paid you don't even have to donate it there right. is money there there is commerce there but it's about having these conversations and like meeting people who feel called to contribute rather than asking
1: people to contribute
0: right. cuz they
1: feel like they're doing you a favor if you right. ask And you can't get into that mentality in a business setting at all. No. And you're not doing me any
0: favors. You're doing what feels good to you, what you feel called to for your own community, which is why I'm doing it. I'm not doing anyone any favors. I'm certainly not doing myself a favor by, you know, facilitating events um, that aren't making money, but I am creating a space that doesn't exist. And I'm really creating lasting friendships with, Uh, with a demographic that might not be interested in my parties in five years, but they might be interested in a trans owned restaurant or clothing company or whatever. Like these are, people uh, consume in so many different ways. So to just think that, oh, well, this one party may or may not work, like these are the same people. So the connections you make in one business are gonna be the same connections you have in the next.
1: And, like, kind of speaking about, like, your industry in particular being nightlife, right? Uh-huh. You know, usually clubs have what you would say, like, a three to five-year span, max?
0: Um, so, in bigger cities, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, like, in New York and in L.A., where the real estate is always fluctuating, unless you own the venue. Like, if you own the venue, you're locked in. Right. But if you have any sort of lease... The minute that five-year lease is up, they're gonna hike up your rent. You're not gonna be able to afford it. You're absolutely gonna have to close. So it just depends on the access to privilege initially when you start the business, absolutely. And that's what I think about the New York and LA because real estate is so expensive. No club promoter can go in there and be like, okay, I can afford to buy this plus the down payment. But if they do go into it with a, okay, I have five years, I can make this amount of money Either I can save it and open up a new spot after five years, or that's my investment. And I get out and I do a different business or I retire or whatever. It just really depends on why that business person is going into business. And you can tell right away. Yeah. Especially the flashy clubs. Like the people like the dive bars are the ones that sustain. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's not a lot to it except for low customer service. Absolutely. Low overhead. The margins are there, products, the food. Yes, exactly. No. But it's these people that want to invest a whole lot of money in this artisanally crafted experience and think that they can continue to perpetuate that for 10 years. When... I think
1: Chicago has a good mix of that in their nightlife environment.
0: And you need both. Yeah. You need that like Thursday dive bar staple that you and your neighbors and everyone in your neighborhood can like all go in and meet and see each other Mm -hmm. but then you also do need those art installation pop-up temporary come now or you're never going to be able to come again you know sort of vibe like both of those are vital um vital commerce um formulas that each city definitely needs and one's younger than the other like young people are the ones who are throwing the pop-ups and getting it while it's good.
1: And so it's like you're you're probably already thinking of how you can expand the brand into other industries. Absolutely. And that's
0: the consulting component for corporate corporations mm-hmm. and less about talking at people. And more about facilitating a group conversation. I there's all these like uh, corporate. Well, this is how people like to be called, and this is what you should do, and these are all the ways that you're wrong. That like
1: HR sort of briefing. Absolutely, yeah. that's a failure before it even starts. <laughs> like who wants to, hear wants that? to like, like, be yelled people at? people are just turned off to HR in general. So it's like. Yes. And also, when you tell a
0: certain demographic what they're doing is wrong especially when they're men especially when they're white men like your language is oppressive and hurts people that puts them in a defensive space already like it makes them feel like oh well because I'm not educated it's my fault I'm in trouble and instead of holding a space where you can hear and listen to other people's experiences without somebody directly pointing at you and that has been my experience, say, in queer trans people of color fishbowls and, and what that is, it's like a community conversation where white presence is encouraged, but white voices are not. So they want members of the whole community to be there, but to really only hold space and to hear the experiences of people of color within that community. And when white people are exposed to a space where they can just listen and not speak and not defend themselves and nobody is asking them to. Like when you come into a space and no one's asking you to apologize white person, just listen and then move on. That has been the most successful um, formula as far as navigating problematic um, challenges and trainings with with white people.
1: I mean, and no, honestly, I think it's hard for anyone to go to a space where you feel like you're just having to listen because I think our listening skills as a society have become so poor. Totally. Like our microwave society, you know, culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could see how that could be difficult just for anyone. But um, when you're so used to always having your voice heard or usually mm-hmm. having your voice heard, mm-hmm. you know, I could see that being like such a difficult process. So.
0: But it comes back, yes, and it comes back to do you respect the people in the room? Right. So this isn't just like 100 randos. These are your coworkers. This is the beautiful secretary you flirt with. This is, and I'm talking about people of color that you work with. This is your mm-hmm. programmer. This is your boss. Or shit, this might be your assistant. And sitting in a space where you're like, okay, And starting the um, conversation around this space is to hold space for people who don't have access to or don't have the confidence or comfortability or safety to share their experience. Whereas this is a primarily white space where white people do feel that confidence, comfort, and safety to communicate their experience. So by taking this 60 minutes or taking this however long uh, the time is determined, just for people of color and really presenting it. These are people that you love, people who you want to hear their experience. These are people you work with, you, like, you, want, you want them to respect you. So coming into that space with the white people, as far as being like, okay, whether we realize it or not, we may speak over and we may, we may speak for people of color, whether you realize it or not. And this 160 minutes is an opportunity for us to listen and really just coming from that space rather than sit down and shut up. Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like I just mean like if and it's volunteer, not forcing anyone to be there. If you don't want to be there and you're not going to get something positive from this experience, you definitely shouldn't be there. Period. Like I'm it's no one's responsibility to force someone to mature or evolve. People evolve at their own rate. So, I have
1: one or two final questions for you cool okay so I've been watching uh, Euphoria I think I think we talked about this but I think when we talked you hadn't watched it yet
0: and I still haven't
1: because I love to binge the whole season the whole season I think it's yeah, like two episodes left and then you can binge
0: okay okay cool I hear there is a trans character on the show though she
1: is she's a, a the, like one of the main characters awesome um so but i'm seeing that show which i I think euphoria is probably like the most unique show that i've ever seen Mm -hmm. like it's very original um another show that i've been watching well i started watching it last year when it came out was uh pose Uh, ah
0: yes so that is finally Pose is finally the exposure and the stories mm-hmm. that queer people of color need to see in their homes, on their TV screens, like things that young queer people need their parents to see, you know, and it's what we need to see as far as our history and really like a respectful, responsible version of it.
1: So, and there. They have um, like house mothers. Yes, that's a big part of our community. Right. Is that um, equivalent to the term den mother? Sure. Okay. Yeah. a house mother, I'll just give you a quick little recap because <laughs> you, you've had that experience before, correct? Yes. okay.
0: I have a, I have a mother myself. It could also be equated to a drag mother, which is kind of like a more um, loose role than... House mother is a successful trans person. Someone in whatever industry she works, she has enough coins to create a home or she has access to a privilege to create a home and really house people house people who have been thrown out by their parents when they were teenagers or don't have access to family, and how that house mother operates as a business mentor, as a landlord, as a stepmother, holding you accountable, holding you responsible, uh, an, an addiction coach, a counselor, peer mentor, all of it. That person essentially is somebody who Potentially creates a space for you to live, but also creates a space for you to judgment and holds accountability for you.
1: Sounds Did like that answer cool. your question? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Um, so, kind of final question is: you see the you're starting to see the visibility more in mainstream media with trans. Gender. Um, you can say trans people. Trans trans people, right? Yeah. Okay. But you you also see that increase f- uh, from my research with the porn industry. Absolutely. Okay. Can you kind of talk about that? Like, what are what are the good and bad of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I could go about
0: I could go on and on and on. We could on probably that. do a whole episode on that. You know, <laughs> I, on we could topic. definitely do a whole episode. And how that is hurtful and how it is helpful. You're right. So I'll just start with content creating and sex work through a digital platform and how that gives power and commerce to trans people behind the safety of a lens. So starting from that space about how any work opportunity for a trans person, if it's safe for them, is a good one. That's where I'm gonna start. Regardless of the type of content that they they produce, if a trans person feels safe and is making money, that is legendary and sickening and props to that person. Yes, God. That aside, to pop into the political side of things, and this directly reflects my personal experience in sex work and how the experiences of people in my life who uh, have practiced and experienced sex work. Porn typically victimizes the female actor, and it's typically about the male satisfaction of the scene with a female. And at first you very much saw that perpetuated through trans characters. So basically, and I do not like to use this word and is definitely not an appropriate word for anyone to ever use, but the search term is she male. And what I mean by that is somebody who is um, hyper surgically altered to be a hyper expression of cisgender beauty, also featuring functional functionality. And that right there is for the pleasure of the man, because that's not typically, that's typically not the experience of a trans person. So when trans people take hormones when trans people take testosterone or T-blockers, whatever, it changes your body and it changes. And seeing somebody who is this like super sex machine, surgically altered by a doctor, pleasuring a cisgender man, doing all the things he wants still, it's not a fair representation of who trans people are. And then it sets the expectation Of trans people in real life by the men who grew up watching this porn (laughs) so i'm very happy that these that these girls are making other coins i think you should make your coins i think you should do whatever you want whatever that's amazing but there yes and there is a group of queer Content creators who are intentional about the type of adult content they make. So even though it's filmed for women by women, even though it's filmed for trans by trans, trans, we know white men are going to download this content, and we know that white men are going to be the, or I should just say men in general, but typically where the privilege lies is within the rich white men, but men in general, they're going to be downloading this content, regardless of what our intention is. So to find empowerment through online content creation of creating scenes and scenarios where trans bodies, trans people are celebrated rather than hypersexualized, where different types of trans bodies, where different types of queer bodies are being featured and not just a hyper-feminized sex doll version of a cisgender person, M- when more of that content is being created, which it is right now that's going to satiate the need for trans content and then also curb the desires and appetites of the men that are watching. Because when you're watching adult content as a teenager or a child or whatever, while your brain is still developing, you create attachments and bonds to the content and then it perpetuates in your real life sex experiences. So when trans people feel the confidence and comfort and um, what's the word experience. There we go. When they have the experience to realize, Oh, this content is going to be purchased. No matter what scene I create, I can actually, I have the power to create the narrative when we, as a community within the adult industry, harness that and perpetuate that through our content. We'll not only be able to make money, but we'll also be able to, um, influence the way people see us specifically men
1: so to me that sounds like another example or an opportunity to move from the fetishization of it all and mm-hmm. entrepreneurship and empowerment spaces
0: absolutely and you can be a sex worker or a content creator or a porn star or a stripper and you don't have to be hyper fetishized. You can be celebrated for having a normal human body. You can be sexy. People are allowed to want to have sex with you without you ha- feeling like you need to present yourself in
1: such an extravagant way. I mean, cause I had some, uh, one of my entrepreneur buddies posted this the other day where she was just saying like, she's very into like health and fitness and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Just you know, balance in life. Yeah. And she posted um sex uh tip of the day, health tip of the day, sex is normal. And I think people can sometimes get away from that as a concept. You know Mm -hmm. that's and of course
0: people like get away from that. And that is directly reflected by their porn search terms. So, like, when you go look at someone's history, say, we'll look at my own or whatever, I can kind of see how my search terms end up being extreme versions of maybe what I would explore in real life. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Or on the other side of things, I'm a bit fearless when it comes to that. And I'll be like, why fantasize about something? Let's make it happen. And you put it all together and you get into it and you're like, oh, this is definitely not what I wanted. So just the fancy. And there's nothing wrong with my... having
1: that experience, right? You're Absolutely. That that's not, not for me. me. And then moving on from it. Totally.
0: I'd be like, whoop, that was not what I needed. Okay. But also, maybe I just didn't need that right now. And we come back in two years and mm-hmm. after Googling it a few more times and, oh, no wonder I didn't like that. I did this, this, and this, or whatever. Like, there's just sex is normal. Exploring is normal. Bodies, human bodies are weird. Like, it's part of that, so.
1: That's awesome. Did you have any questions that you wanted me to ask you that I didn't ask you? Um, I think we really covered a lot of stuff today. I think we did,
0: too. Yeah. I guess, like, the only last thing that I really want to say, and hopefully there's, like, a woman or a trans person listening to this, Whatever state that you're in, do your research. Find out what's legal and what isn't. And then try your idea. Just do it. Set a budget. Save up that, that amount, whether it's small or large. Get it donated. Get somebody excited about your mission. And just try it. I let myself being afraid of police, being afraid of losing money, oh, stop me so many times for so long. And even though and I'll be direct. I lost uh, quite a bit of money on this Free Love Disco venture. My own fault was having a party 20 minutes outside downtown. Anywho, I had so much fun and learned so much. I basically learned how to run a nightclub. I mean, I've worked in nightclubs. I've absolutely had the pleasure of managing. True ownership, though. If I hadn't invested and failed in that, sort of, that amount of money, if I hadn't paid all my employees and done all the hiring myself, if I hadn't just tried it, I would be still in the exact same place I was, insecure. Now I'm like, oh, I can open a venue, no problem. Oh my God, all these things this person didn't do? Boom, I'll just hire someone to do that. And the way that I problem solve things now versus 90 days ago, absolutely have evolved. Confronting someone, who I'm intimidated by, somebody who raises their voice and acts violently towards me, holding them accountable for the money that they owe me for my investment, that's a skill I never would have been able to develop or exercise if I hadn't just went for it. So I just want people, if people can take anything away for it, even if you fail, you just, you learn so much. And I know that sounds a little cliche. I'm sure lots of people say that, but
1: Gosh darn, it sure is true. Absolutely. Uh, What I just kind of want parting words to take away from everyone is uh, we've been working on this for a while. (laughs) So I am so happy that, like, I think I thought you were going to be ended up, I think you were supposed to be like my fourth or fifth or something like that episode.
0: And in the thick of all this, I'm glad we waited because yeah, like we were like a couple of weeks ago, I was like right in the middle of it. Probably would have had some different advice.
1: And then the alignment of it all coming together, but um, I think we had a fantastic conversation. I learned a lot. I feel like I grew from the com- the dialogue. Awesome. And, um, I just want to always say, um. F- I would love to have you back on in the future for us to talk about more stuff. and Sweet. I'd like love to.
0: And I can also put you in touch with some other trans entrepreneurs.
1: Awesome. I'd love to have all, all entrepreneurs on the podcast. Anyone who's awesome. like about entrepreneurship, empowerment, and empathy. And I think we covered all three in this episode. So it's always Definitely. a great episode when we can do that.
0: I agree. I can't wait to hear it. We even covered history, which is another part of the
1: podcast. Yeah, and, and music.
0: Mean, yeah, we had all, everything. You have to cover. You have to know your history, though, if you think you're going to have a future. Absolutely, it's imperative.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, especially if you're marginalized, you have to know As- what happened to get you here. Like, well, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. absolutely. And what other people did to get to where you are
1: for you. Yeah, exactly. Or else you're just lost.
0: Yeah, 30 years ago, if I tried to do this, I'd have police in my club every single night. And now I only had police in my club one night. Mm. I got ri- And guess what? We were legal. So bye, police. Bye. <laughs> they tried to shut us down. Guess what? They couldn't. You had no all your
1: documentation God. and just said, hey, you guys yeah, can either hey. stay or you can go. Yeah.
0: Smart things to ask a police officer is, am I being arrested? smart things to ask a police officer is do you have a warrant (laughs) smart things to ask a police officer is how are we breaking the law (laughs) and when they can't answer that stuff then that's the law they have to go or never come in to begin with definitely
1: well it was an absolute had an absolute blast having you on the show any final quotes that you want to give the people
0: thanks for having me and yeah just get out there and make your money and make money for other people
1: (laughs) absolutely awesome
0: thank you so much for this interview today
1: definitely and i'll talk to you offline great i'll see you soon see you later day beautiful america
0: yeah (laughs)
1: Hey everyone, this is Dr. Oh My Coffee and here's my story
0: I am sharing on the TREP Life podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on social media, O-M-A-I-K-O-F-I and that's Dr. Oh My Coffee on Instagram. I'm so excited and I want to stay connected with you and I hope my experiences inspire you and remember dreams over doubt, focus over frustration, progress over perfection, solutions over setback. My favorite is prevention instead of intervention. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays, streaming on all podcast platforms. Hey, this is Cindy Vargas, and here's my story I'm sharing on the Trep Live podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on Instagram at SidV. I hope my experiences inspire you. And remember dreams over doubt, focus over frustration, and progress over perfection. As we all answer the essential question, who am I, maybe this response will benefit your mindset. I am a leader. Are you? I'm a supporter of positive change in my generation, and I consistently provide value to myself and others. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcasts in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays, streaming on all podcast platforms.